Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and... Again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is how you become a free soul under God. That's the government of God. As uh, Wycliffe said, or or someone said who wrote the foreword to the Wycliffe Bible, was this was the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And it is amazing. We have millions of people who believe that they're Christians, And they're actually doing the absolute opposite of what Jesus Christ said to do. They're doing contrary to the decrees of Jesus Christ. Did you know that there were decrees that Jesus Christ made? (laughs) Things that Jesus Christ Christ said, this is, you got to do this. This is what you need to be doing and you should not be doing that. Those are decrees of the king. It's kind of like God saying, you can eat of the tree of life, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, you know, because there's consequences if you do that. And the consequences are what you might call the wrath of God. You know, I actually run across a lot of people from time to time who think they're atheists. They don't believe in God. What they really mean is they don't believe in the God that they talk about in the churches that they go to. But they don't realize that God, this creative force, this creative identity, this God of nature and nature's God, you know, this, uh, whatever this divine intelligence that uh, was a part of creation that shows a uniformity throughout creation, shows uh, what some people call a singularity, you know, because the laws of physics are the laws of physics and they continue everywhere, everywhere that we know of. That even when you see, you know, like time supposedly travels, uh, uh, passes at a different rate on Jupiter than it does here on Earth. Nobody lives on Jupiter that we know or that we talk to, so we don't really know what if that's true. But that's the theory, and it's because there's more gravity, and it's the, it's our movement, speed, and time are related, and gravity is a part of that speed and time. So, I mean, that's the theory. Now, is it true or not? I don't know. But the reality is, is that everywhere that we do go, everywhere that we do measure time and, and existence, we discover that there is some sort of singularity in creation that makes creation what it is around us. And there's a uniformity to it. And that uniformity is there because of either coincidence or an intelligence. If it's there because of an intelligence, we will call that intelligence God. If we, that divine intelligence, which is why right reason, the law of nature, divine will, are all convertible phrases. That's God. Whatever that is, that's God. Now, you can have an opinion of what God is, and I can have an opinion of what God is, and the Lutherans can have an opinion of what God is, and the Catholics can have an opinion of what God is, and they all have opinions as to what the doctrines of Jesus Christ are, although that should be fairly easy to decipher, because there it is in this this book. 
Uh, we don't have any other source for the doctrines of Jesus Christ other than the ancient scriptures that we call the New Testament. There are things that were written, but we, you know, the the chain of uh, of authenticity is difficult to determine. It's difficult enough with the copies of Scripture that we have. But because of fragments, even though we don't have any Scriptures that were written in that first century, you know, as a full copy of the Scriptures, there are fragments that seem to date back to that time that are clearly a part of the Scriptures. But whole contented scripture, that's, that's basically we've got one thing that we're looking at. Discrepancies amongst the different copies that we have. And so some people say, oh, we only use this copy. And some people say we only use that copy. But who is to say which copy is really authentic? But the reality is, even doesn't matter what copy you take, if you're King James only or not, they're very clear statements, easily translated from Greek to English, that Jesus made that people just don't seem to get. They don't seem to accept that. I mean, they tell you right out. We talked about it this morning when we were going through Exodus. Uh, we were going through Exodus 10 and Exodus 11. We're saving Exodus 12 for next week. <laughs> and part of that is is that uh, there's so much in Exodus 12 that is misunderstood. There's, there's plenty in the others, and we've pointed a lot of them out. All those recordings will be available on our study at Preparing You for Exodus, so people can go to it and listen to them and read them. And if you have questions or confusion about some of the things after listening to some of those, you can write us and we can go and maybe add a little bit more to the side panels and, and, and word things maybe a little bit different to help people understand. And you being a part of that process by giving us feedback, that's part of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness because you're actually doing it not just so that you will understand, but so that we will all to work together to help other people understand. And so we're actually going to open up this program to questions, but not until after the first hour. We, we're going to make that kind of a, a habit that uh, after the first hour, we will take calls. And I noticed that there are people already calling in before we even got started. And we didn't do a lot of advertising of this. I've now created a page called, called Freedomizer. At uh, preparing you, and you can you can just type in Freedomizer uh, in the search engine, and it should show up. And uh, it will give you some information. You know the telephone number that you can call in if you want to ask questions. You can probably get that off of the Freedomizer.com program, which is all part of the blog talk service. They wanted us to take up a full three hours here. I'm not going to be able to talk for three hours. I've already been talking because we had company over today. And so we've been talking, uh, except for when I went out to take care of sheep and cattle. I've been talking all day as it is. <laughs> so anyway, but I got a little water here. But what I was going to do, I've got a couple of uh, letters that people gave me. And I glanced over them, but I didn't re- read them in detail. But uh I thought I'd maybe read these letters and see... Just looking at, I won't tell you who who wrote them to me, but it's uh, 
someone in the Midwest that uh, considered they've they've known about us for a long time. They ordered the books recently. They actually ordered the books. I think it says it in here. And they also sent me a copy of the American Free Press headlines. I don't know what date it is. It's probably a date in here somewhere. Uh, volume twenty two. Issues 45 and 46, October 31, 2022. Payback for PayPal. And I noticed they mentioned PayPal in their letter, which they start off, uh, you know, my piece, that path is understanding surround you as we uh, continue towards his light in these days. He has chosen us to live in. And so, yeah, we live in unique times. And we're going to face unique situation. But in truth, everybody lives in unique times throughout history. I mean, that's that's where they're at. And your life can be unique if you if you choose to start eating of the tree of life instead of only eating of the tree of knowledge. All those doctrines that are in all those churches, most of them are clearly the product of eating from the tree of knowledge. Because the basic fundamentals that Christ thought was important are seldom uh, even given lip service in those doctrines, in those written doctrines. They're not given much time. They go on to say, we have finally received the remaining two of your publications and are happy to have them. We think much like you and have learned many things from your writings already. We had to order them through a friend of ours that would could use a PayPal account. We ourselves will not have anything to do with PayPal. But of course, by having your friend order them through PayPal, you did have something to do (laughs) with PayPal, (laughs) which is okay. But uh, the reality is, you know, a lot of people, they want to keep themselves pure, but they will let other people do the dirty work, if it is dirty work. The reality is PayPal is dealing with fictional Money, it's not, it's not substance. It's not gold and silver in your purse, like, it's not, uh, coin, just weights and measures. It's book entries. It's, it's artificial money. It's imaginary money. But it does account for some bookkeeping and it is a way of making exchanges and if you're willing to do it, you're willing to do it. The problem is that we become dependent upon those systems and those systems are extremely fragile. The real problem is that we aren't dependent upon the system of the kingdom of God, which is why we're always talking about the kingdom of God and what that actually looks like and what that would actually curtail and how it would actually function according to the perfect law of liberty. But it will function that way if you will repent and seek that kingdom, which would mean seek to operate according to the ways of Christ. And if you were doing that, you actually wouldn't need PayPal. You could invent a a digital money and you could have a way of making exchanges in this digital bookkeeping format. And it, it could work fine. And there's nothing wrong with it intrinsically. But... You have to have the substantive economy also. And one of the reasons you want to have that substantive economy is because we are weak. We, we are, we can be manipulated. It's kind of like, you know, if, if you're going to get married and have children, you don't play the field. 
that when you get married, you make a commitment for life, to love, honor, and cherish, for life. You have to do that. That uh, and, and if you're going to do that, you don't cheat on your wife before you get married or after you get married. You don't cheat on your husband before you get married or after you get married. So you don't play the field. You remain abstinent from those practices that belong within marriage. And, of course, marriage was created so that man can procreate the next generation. And in that procreation, also care for the next generation and raise it up in the righteousness of God. But if you turn the natural use of procreation into something for just your personal gratification and satisfaction, and you play the field, you pervert the gift. You you abuse it. And that will create, because we live in the cause and effect universe, it will create changes in you. It will alter you. It will alter, it will actually alter you physically. And there, there's all kinds of things that it will do, but it will alter you mentally. If you create a system where you covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, that will degenerate you as an individual. That will actually have an effect on you. It will actually affect your epigenetic DNA, which of course turns on and turns off parts of your DNA. That's how, if you create these systems that diverge themselves away from these principles that we call the keys to the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom, things will begin to happen in your life. Now, no matter how bad you get, and all of us have done bad things, you can turn around and you can actually find the kingdom of heaven, that inspiration of God, that divine guidance that will of God, quicker than somebody who spent their whole life studying and praying in some monastery. Not necessarily, but you could. Because it isn't dependent upon what you do and what you don't do. It's dependent upon what you have faith in, what you are willing to serve, how much of your willfulness you're willing to set aside and do God's will instead. Most people won't even set aside their own willfulness willfulness to know what God's will is. They don't want to know what God's will is. They don't want to follow the ways of God. They're too busy following their own ways. Deciding for themselves what is good and evil and pursuing it for their own benefit. Now, some people will pursue it for their own benefit, but they also will care about their children. They may even care about their cousins. They may care about their neighbors, certain neighbors, not those neighbors over there, but these neighbors over here, I kind of like them, so I care about their kids. But God doesn't work that way. That isn't the nature of God. God cares about everybody. He's constantly warning us all the time, don't go that way. (laughs) Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat of the tree of life. Only eat of the tree of life. Don't stray from the formula. And he gives us Ten Commandments and These Ten Commandments are Ten Guideposts helping you find your way to that interconnection with the Tree of Life that will guide you in your footsteps so that you can, yea, though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, you will fear no evil because the Lord is with you in telling you, don't step there. You know, he's he's telling you where, you know, the 
what is it, what are those things that were in the fire swamp? <laughs> the the sand and the and the rodents rodents of unusual size. You know, he's showing you where all the dangers are, the quicksand, the pitfalls, and he's doing that with the Ten Commandments because they are really the Ten Guideposts. But if you don't want to follow them, if you want to be promiscuous, you're going to pay the price. It's built in. Whether you believe in God or not, it doesn't really matter. It's built in. If you drive your car over the cliff because you believe there's a bridge there, you're still going to fall into the crevice below. Your belief in the existence of a bridge that does not exist isn't going to save you from the consequences of driving where it is not safe to go. Where even angels fear to tread. So it's important to follow the guideposts because they will help you see the dangers and pitfalls. And there are many, many layers to those dangers and pitfalls. And we kind of covered that this morning in Exodus 10 and 11. Is that if they go a certain way, they're only going to see certain things. See, Pharaoh kept hardening his own heart because of the way he was reacting to what Moses was telling them. And Moses was telling them what he was telling them. Because God was saying, say this to Pharaoh, and what he God told him to say to Pharaoh caused Pharaoh, in his lack of humility, to harden his own heart with his lack of humility. He was told that if you continue to lack this humility, it's going to get worse and worse for you. And, of course, it did get worse and worse. And people died because he lacked humility. Same principle applies to us. We want to believe that we got the doctrines of God, the doctrines of Jesus, the doctrines of Moses. We've got them memorized. We're, we're Pharisees or we're Catholics or we're Protestants or whatever. And our doctrines is the right doctrine. And so we got this in with God. But that's an opinion. It's only when it's real. And it's only, how do you know if it's real or not? That's the big question. And of course, James tells you. And I mentioned that this morning that evidently Martin Luther not Martin Luther King, the original Martin Luther, <laughs> wanted to take James out of the Bible. Book of James. He didn't want it in the Bible. He wanted to remove it. Well, that's the one that tells you this is how you know whether or not you're following the truth and the way and the light. is by what you do. Of course, now Jesus said the same thing. That's completely in conformity with Jesus. Not those who say, but those who do it the will of the Father. And, of course, Jesus' ultimate prayer was not my will, but thine. So how many of you are praying for what you want? How many of you are praying to know what God wants? How many of you are willing to sacrifice what you want to provide what God wants? And how do you know what you think God wants is what God wants? How do you know it's not your imagination and that somebody has deceived you? Somebody has fooled you. Have Somebody has manipulated you. I mean, theoretically, I mean, that's what we basically see saying in Exodus, that God is manipulating the Pharaoh. He's saying, go in and say this to him, and then his heart will be hardened, and then he will not let the people go. And he didn't start out with the final request. He started out with an earlier request. He told us at the beginning. He gave us insight at the beginning. 
as to where we were going with this, with a brief summary at the beginning of the story of the whole story. And he did this in some of the chapters. He'd give us a brief summary and, and then he would get into the details. We would hear him telling us that God says, go say this. So now we have an idea what's going to happen. Then he would go say it. And then, and then the Pharaoh would react to what was said and the way it was said. But he would react exactly as God knew he'd react. Because eventually God was going to take it to the point where the Pharaoh was going to drive them out and say, get out of here. And of course, this is kind of what happened with the Christians. The Pharisees, you know, were contending with Jesus. From the beginning, Jesus said, you know, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to others who bear fruit. He told them that right out. That's the, that's the same way that Moses was doing. And then he proceeded to make it so that they actually do it. And so he got the Pharisees to say that if you get the baptism of Jesus Christ, you're going to be cast out of our system. You're not going to get any more benefits, but you're not going to have any more obligation to pay into it. And so you are literally going to be exempt from the taxes of Herod. You didn't have to. I mean, there were still some, you know, roads that would be taxed. I mean, they had, you literally, if you were going down the road with a one axle cart, there was a tax for that. If you were going down the road with a donkey, there was a tax for using the road with a donkey. If you had a two axle cart, there was a tax that, that Taxes were based on the number of axles. We still do that today. <laughs> Truckers get taxed more because of, you know, 18-wheelers. And that's the process that happens is that you you get cast out. They were thrust out. We covered that in this morning's show. Eventually, the Pharaoh got so ticked, so lacking in humility... So upset that he pronounced that, if I see you again, Moses, you're going to die. And that set the scene. Now he's put death on the table. He's not negotiating with Moses. He wants to think he's negotiating with Moses. He's actually negotiating with God. And he's now said the penalty, if God doesn't do things my way, is I'm going to kill, take a life. And, of course, what that meant was now God would take a life. Because he, that's what he anteed up. He put that on the table. Your negotiate, your whole life is negotiation with God. And you either are going to do his will or it's going to go badly. One way or the other. And some of those things like promiscuity. If you choose to be promiscuous... It's going to go badly. We we know that we're not supposed to be promiscuous. That's just over and over again. That's explained. If you covet your neighbor's goods, it's going to go badly for you. If you don't take care of your parents, it's going to go badly for you. If you don't honor, you know, your spouse, your husband or wife, it's going to go badly for you. It's going to get worse and worse. It doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. That's built into the system. You know, Polybius explained it. Plutarch explained it. Plato explained it. They weren't Catholics. They weren't Christians. They weren't Jews. But they saw 
that this is built into the system. So back at the letter that I was reading, uh, he says, you must not be aware of the personality of PayPal. So we have enclosed a copy of the recent American Free Press publication, not free news, not fake news, that will inform you of the most recent actions of PayPal. I'm aware of the actions of PayPal. But long before PayPal, I was aware of the actions of the Federal Reserve. We have a whole pages explaining how the Federal Reserve came about and who was bringing it about. It was people who were communists who established the Federal Reserve that were pro-Federal Reserve. It was people who were communists who established the Social Security system. We've explained that. We explained their tactics, that they want to bankrupt you. More and more and more bankrupt you so that there's total economic collapse so that they can take over and make the whole world a communist-controlled, central-controlled new world order. I'm aware of all that. We write about it all the time. And, And the church actually has a PayPal account without a number because churches are allowed to do that. We're not of PayPal. We can use it. Now, they're going to cut us off. They've tried to a number of times, but we just showed them what the law actually is. We've written whole books on it, explaining why the church is not of the world and it's separate from the world. And and we know that they'll they'll take it away from us eventually. But that's not where we're putting our faith. You know, it's like uh, I used to have a boat and sail through the Caribbean, uh, up and down the Florida Keys. And uh, there were some leaks in that boat from time to time. I'd do a little bailing from time to time. It was a big boat. I mean, you, we, I lived in the boat. Had a cabin in it. And it was, it was cheap. I could have bought a better boat uh, that was a little bit more seaworthy. But for the length of time we were on the doing this and fishing for our breakfast and lunch and dinner, <laughs> uh, it, it was good enough. But eventually, it it wasn't going to hold up. That would be dry rot. That would be, uh, it would deteriorate because the, it, it wasn't as good a boat. We looked at two that we were thinking about buying. One was a lot more expensive. And we bought the cheaper one. And it was fine. It did the job for while we had it. But I'm sure it's not afloat anywhere. <laughs> that would have been, uh, well, well over half a century ago. So I doubt it survived. But, uh, the same way, PayPal's not going to survive. Federal Reserve's not going to survive. Paper dollars in your pocket, are they're losing value as the clock ticks in the show. They're, they're going away. <laughs> it's not going to be here anymore. So, but we're trying to show people the kingdom. And if you would seek the kingdom, you would have an answer. Just judging the wicked doesn't make you right. But anyway, so they they were talking about, we first uh, became aware of their thinking several years ago when Sheriff uh, Richard Mack, I knew Sheriff Richard Mack way back when, probably that was 40 years ago, where he and I stayed up late one night talking for a long time. We actually knew each other for more than one night, and uh, a good guy, and he could... He could see a lot of the stuff that we were talking about even then. But he stayed focused on one thing, as if the Constitution was... And he knew the Constitution was not our salvation. He knew that. 
But not being faithful, if you're in the United States federal government and you're a U.S. citizen, you need to be faithful to that document. And most people, a lot of people don't really understand that document. We explain that. I have a whole book out free online. I guess they've got the last book now. They could have just downloaded it online and printed it out themselves, but which would be contracts, covenants, and constitutions that show you that the Constitution is is not a biblical document. But it's an agreement. It's actually part of the unrighteous mammon because of things like the Federal Reserve and the Social Security system. Mammon is entrusted wealth and that's what the Federal Reserve and the Social Security system is all about. They're, they're two aspects of the same thing, the same problem. The Federal Reserve is not just a waste of measures. Yes, absolutely. But they also are creating debt notes. And when you got a Social Security number, you became collateral for that debt. And when they raise the debt ceiling this week, your children and grandchildren will be more and more in debt than they were before. You will be more and more in bondage than you were before. And this is all because of the Constitution of the United States and the way in which the people have tried to go disregarding the decrees of Jesus Christ, coveting their neighbor's goods to the agency of government. So anyway, he goes, organizing a national conference of CSPOA, Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, to help educate them on our Christian heritage and their responsibilities. Again, Constitution is not a Christian document. The Bible tells you, and you read the book, which they now have. I assume that that was probably the last books they got was one of those. It very clearly shows that the Constitution was contrary to the decrees of God in the Bible. It does contrary to the decrees of God in the Bible. It is not a biblical document. And you can read it online. You can look up Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution and read it online. Go to Preparing You. We have articles. They link to other articles that show you. Go to the Bible. Look up Deuteronomy 17.16. There's links to... If you go there, we link to the books and to the articles. So you can see for yourself that if you think Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association is your salvation, you're in, you're, you're getting into a dangerous area. Now, should, does it have a right to exist? Absolutely. Do I respect Sheriff Mack and probably a lot of the guys that have that? Absolutely. But that's not where Christ came. You know, there was not... There was similar officers in Judea at the time of Jesus Christ, similar to what we have today as sheriffs, similar, vaguely similar. But you have to remember that Israel was a government. They had a system of courts. They had a system of laws and law enforcement. It was operating much different than what we see today. You know, sheriffs are out there enforcing ordinance. They can have an ordinance that says that you have to have a balcony constructed three feet high with spaces no bigger than four inches. It used to be six inches. I think they narrowed it down to four inches, at least in Oregon. 
You have to have that around any area that's more than three feet tall. It's part of the codes. And they can actually come and fine you if you violate that code. And the sheriff will come and enforce that code upon you. That's contrary to the Bible. But people say, oh, wait a minute. In the Bible, they had a code that you had to have a balcony around, you know, the rooftop. If people are up there, go there and they fall off, you could be accused of manslaughter, a form of murder. Yeah, but nobody could fine you if you didn't put that. Because that's not a crime not to put it on there. There's no ordinance that says you have to do it or we get money from you. What it says is that if you don't put a, if you create a hazard, you dig a pit, and somebody falls into the pit and hurts themselves, you could be held responsible because you created the hazard. If you create a balcony but don't put a good railing around it, you're creating a hazard. And if somebody falls off, you could be held responsible for their injuries because you created the hazard. And they had a way of figuring out what your responsibility would be through a system of courts and appeals courts, which was the cities of refuge, which we've also written about. But the system we have today is that if you sin and don't put the balcony on there, we can fine you. We can take money away from you. If you don't pay the money, we can take your house away from you. That's not biblical. That's not what Christ said. That's not what Moses said. That's contrary to the law of Moses and the law of Christ. And therefore, it will create, if you go that way, which you have a right to do, you will create a pattern of cause and effect. Because you're not operating according to the perfect law of liberty. You're sowing the seeds of tyranny. Because you're going to force your neighbor or penalize your neighbor if he doesn't do things your way. You say, well, it's good that we have a balcony. Good that you protect the the people, that you're creating this hazard and you need to protect the people. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one thing if you, well, even if you dig a pit, you're not in trouble unless somebody falls in. But if somebody falls in, you will be held responsible. They can't fine you for digging the pit. (laughs) Unless, of course, you you dug the pit along the trail and then you covered it over to make it look like it wasn't a pit. (laughs) And you set what they call a man trap. That. That's another issue altogether. But if it was just negligence, you can be held responsible. But you can't be fined. You can't be punished because there is no injury. This is common law. This is natural law. The people don't understand this. They don't look into it farther. So anyway, he says, after PayPal collected $10,000 for that event, they refused to give it to CSPOA. The conference did go on for the people that could con, uh, could contributed more than they first had and sent it by check, cash, or postal money order. And the event did go on as scheduled. So, yeah, I, I was unaware of that particular instance. And morally, I would say that they didn't have a right to do that. But I don't know. In the terms of their contract, they might be able to do that. You can go after them and sue them, but you'll be suing them in courts that half of the judges are liberal judges. And why are half the judges liberal judges? Because, and when I say liberal, I mean leftist judges. Because that's what's coming out of your universities. That's what's coming out of your law schools. 
is leftist lawyers and leftist judges that don't think like Christ, that think contrary to the ways of Christ. Promiscuous, immoral people. I always remember my brother was trying, I think he was going for his master's degree in Idaho, and he was at a university there, and he was saying that uh, he was taking this test in one course or another. And there were a bunch of lawyers who were taking the same test, and they were all sitting together in the, there's a classroom like an auditorium. And they were all exchanging answers. They were cheating. And he, he saw it because he was sitting close enough to him and saw that they were doing it. These are lawyers getting through college by cheating. <laughs> They're not going into law because of morality, because of the honesty of the law. They're going into law to make money, and cheating is fine with them. It's a spiritual. We're in a spiritual battle. That doesn't matter whether you have, in one sense, it doesn't matter whether you have digital currency or paperback, you know, currency or, you know, greenbacks or, or whatever. That, that's not the key. Now, I said it doesn't matter in one sense. In another sense, it does matter. And you want to be going the other way. But if, you know, and I tell stories about the fact I used to go into stores and I'd be buying something and they, they would say, oh, that'll be $150 or whatever. And I says, oh, do you take real money or will you take a note? And the person says, oh, well, we have to have real money. And I, so I put some gold and silver coins on the on the counter and I says, so you want this? And he says, I don't think we can take that. What is that? <laughs> and I says, well, you can take that or you can take this, these notes. And I told it up to maybe a hundred and, uh, $150 in Federal Reserve notes. And they said, oh, we, we take that. <laughs> and I says, so you want a note. You don't want real money. <laughs> so anyway, my poor kids grew up with me doing those kinds of things. Sometimes I get a real crowd of people around and explain it. I don't know if it ever did any good, but casting your bread upon the waters, hoping it comes back to you. I'm always wondering if I'll, I'll come across somebody who says, I know you. I saw you in Walmart. <laughs> Doing that deal with coins in Federal Reserve notes. I thought that was crazy. And then I started learning more. <laughs> I always wondered if I'd find you again. So anyway, maybe they'll have, maybe we'll run across some of those people sometime. Of course, they're probably all old people now. <laughs> but, uh, I I was just trying to get people to think outside the box. And and that was important to me. Uh, And it was also important that I I make the statements and I have the conversations. And we would have some really great conversations in the middle of Walmart. I I keep saying Walmart. It wasn't the only store I do it in. It could be the feed store. It could be... uh, you know I I can't even remember the stores we used to go into. Grocery stores, what have you. We would have these kinds of conversations. And I would, I would be somewhat respectful if there was a big line behind me. I'd make it quick, but sometimes I could not resist the temptation. <laughs> Even with a big line. But I kept it short. But anyway, he goes on, the conference did go on, he said that. He says, next on their list, uh, were those brave Canadian truckers standing up for righteousness. PayPal not only refused to give the truckers, the money, the the many donations meant for them, but they went after those people that wanted to support them. Banks did that. Yeah, the the government of uh, 
Canada did that. Trudeau's still in power. You know, the reality is, I don't have hardly any money in PayPal. Money goes in. But I can't spend money out of PayPal anymore. They won't let me have debit cards anymore. Now, there's workarounds for that. Uh, but everybody wanted them. They don't want real money. Uh, but the key, it's going to get worse. And I think it's fine that they've wake it, woken up people, but you got to wake all the way up. Why don't you have your own banks? Which would probably be credit unions. If you were coming together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, the way Christ commanded, decree of the king. He decreed that anybody who is to be his ministers, they are to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And people say, oh, that was just for that meal. No. Just so they could distribute bread at that meal. Well, how did they rightly divide the bread from house to house after Pentecost? It's because they were all in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And they were all kicked out of the tens, hundreds, and thousands of the government of Herod and the government of the Pharisees. Because they were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Synagogues were ten families. And ten synagogues got together and they picked a minister and they connected them until they got up to the tabernacle and to the temple. It was a temple by then time, not a tabernacle, which we will get into in our Exodus 12. We will start explaining what the tabernacle really was. And the fact, did you know there are two completely different Hebrew words that they translate into tabernacle? Why would there be two completely different words that they translate into tabernacle? They don't always translate them into tabernacle. One of them they'll translate into tabernacle and then sometimes they translate it into feast and then they translate it into numerous different words. Same word. Sometimes it's tabernacle, sometimes it's feast. I think there's at least six or seven other different forms of translation. You keep doing that with all these words and you can make the Bible mean anything you want. And then if you have preachers that say that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of, you know, that, that, would be an interesting topic. I don't know if he gets down to it. I haven't read that far. But we got three hours. <laughs> but I will start taking calls at the hour. Next on their list uh, were those brave Canadian truckers. I said that. Uh, those, if Canada was doing what, if all the people who said they were Christians in Canada were doing what Christ said to do, right out of the box, what he commanded us to do, and we're not doing what he commanded us not to do. All just Christians. Just the Christians in Canada. Trudeau would not have any power at all. And nobody would have done anything to the Canadians. Uh, the brave truckers. Because they would be faithful brave truckers. If just the truckers were doing what Christ said. They, got, they just edged slightly towards what Christ said. Just a little bit and they caused an unbelievable disturbance in the whole country. Can you imagine if those truckers were actually doing what Christ said to do? That they were gathered together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and the ministers they chose were running a voluntary system of charity to take care of the entire social safety net of society and not dependent upon the government at all for their social safety net. And we're forming 
religious orders like Jesus formed with his 12 apostles and the 120 in the upper room, they too would be exempt from because they would not be a part of the world. Now, the people might still be a part of the world while they were in transition, just like the people of of Israel, oh, excuse me, the people that, of Israel that were in Egypt were a part of Egypt. They were still in bondage in Egypt. Moses was not in bondage in Egypt. Aaron was not in bondage in Egypt. Aaron was a priest. He knew the arts of the temple. You don't know the arts of the temple unless you're also a priest. And, of course, the, the army of Moses were the Levites, were, which were the priests of their society. They were exempt. They didn't belong to the Pharaoh. They weren't the servants of Pharaoh. They were the servants of Moses. That way, that why it's translated that they were the army of Moses. But they weren't going to win the freedom of the people with the sword. And we're not going to win the freedom of the people with the sword either. We're going to win the freedom. We're actually, we're not going to win the freedom of the people. <laughs> God will win the freedom of the people. But we may be instruments in that. But we have to be the instruments of God, which is not the instrument of the sword killing men with swords. We're not going to live by the sword. We're not going to be set free by the sword. We're going to be set free by the power of God. Much like Exodus. Much like Exodus. Not exactly. But in spirit and principle, yes. Don't look at form all the time. Look at the spirit and principle. So he says, uh, PayPal must not realize you are Christians, for they still allow you to receive funds through the, the, uh, it says the mails. We don't, we don't, we do it too. We do get, when people buy books, we often sell the books. You could have wrote us a check. It says right there that you could have wrote us a check to his church and bought the books that way. Or, like I said, you could download them for free. We don't. They're up there in PDF format, so you can download them for free. And if you, if you were a part of the network, you, you, people would not only show you where you get the books. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a simple search, just search engine on all the pages, but they would help you download them. I would even if you would do what Christ said, which is gathering the tens, hundreds, and thousands according to the ways of Christ and the ways of Moses. We would show you more than the books. <laughs> but uh, but uh, if you won't even do that, then why should we show you more? So he says, but do you really want to continue using them? Usually we send cash or United States Parcel Service money orders. You are the only Christian organization we know that will only receive PayPal. I'm I'm pretty sure if you go on those pages that, you know, if... If you go to His Holy Church and you hit the donate button, it tells you in there that you can write us a check or send us a money order. You can do that. But, you know, so I, I don't, I, I, he hasn't been thorough. And, and if he was a part of the network, he could have just asked me. I'm reading his letter here because he's not part of the network. And this, as far as I know, I don't know him in any of the congregations of the church. Uh, he would know that. But he does mention down, he goes down there further, you are aware of the Christian Journal Society started by Randy Lee and John Quaid in California. 
your thinking and presentation of your material is much like theirs. When they were forming theirs, they were reading my material. Because <laughs> I sent it to them. I actually say, I heard him talk once somewhere and I, I sent him a booklet and he sent me something back and then I sent him a book and then he sent me something back and I sent him more books and, and he sent me stuff back and, and it was, and that was actually a test on my part. I just sent him stuff for free and then he would, he, and there was a good spirit in the guy. And I, I have told this story before. I'll tell it one more time to show you how the spirit of God works. I was up in Salem during the time that the Embassy of Heaven Church was attacked by the government of Oregon. And specifically uh, by the, uh, well, there was an attorney involved who was the attorney of the county, Marion County. And they colluded. They broke the law. They, they colluded with the courts. They had phony documents. We had all this documented. It was a great experience. I was there right away. Knew what was going on right away. I did not agree with a lot of the teachings of the Embassy of Heaven Church, but I knew Paul and Rachel, and I liked them as people, and I th- thought they were very sincere. And I told them where I disagreed. But they were not following the ways of the kingdom of God. They were issuing driver's licenses and things like that, which is fine. Uh, I don't have any objection to it, but they were not organizing in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They were not creating the social safety net based on faith, hope, and charity. They were trying to get out of the system when all they had to do was get into the system of Christ. When you got the baptism of Christ, you were automatically cast out of their system and allowed to enter uh, your own system of social welfare through charity. And the only way you can do that is if you organize in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Otherwise, widows and orphans will be left along the side of the road. <laughs> when the Israelites were to leave Egypt, they were going to take their old, their young. We went over that this morning. Because the Pharaoh said they could, the men could go. But they said, we're not going unless we take all our kids. And we're not going unless we take our wives and our children and our servants and our donkeys and we're, we're, we're taking our cattle and our sheep and we're taking it all. And actually they were even going to take a lot of the Egyptian gold and silver jewels. <laughs> and of course this was the plan from the beginning but you had to work in there and, and Pharaoh is creating the terms of this departure. And he's just led away into it. And not, that is actually starting to take place behind the scenes now, but I'm not going to tell you any more than Moses told you all the details. But if you want to be a part of that being thrust out, you have to get organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So anyway, I was there day one. And uh, we were taking all the calls that were, we had the phone rerouted before they could do anything about it. So if anybody called the Embassy of Heaven Church, the phone was answered here in this little cubicle of an office that I'm in now. I wasn't here to answer it because I was actually on the road going out there doing battle with the beast. Uh, but my daughter, who was like 14 at the time, uh, she was in here and she made a set of headphones herself that she could plug into the telephone. 
and speak to people. She did, took parts and soldered them together and everything. The, the arm that went out for the microphone was actually a, a plastic straw. <laughs> she wired this through. And she was taking all the calls and talking to the people that were calling. Oh, they shouldn't do this. Oh, they're terrible. Kind of like what we're seeing about PayPal. But it was from the, a lot of those contacts that we started really preaching the kingdom. I was already writing the books, Covenants of the Gods and all that stuff. So I was already aware. Of course, I was on this road since I was seven years old. I didn't know it, which is why God gave me a father who was an attorney and all this stuff. A lot of backdrop in it. So I was trying to see, let's see where. Oh, and yeah, the there was one the long story. And you just have to go back in our back recordings to see if you can find it. You can probably do that. I've actually created a page now. That has a lot of the footnotes and uh, little searchable items. What has all last 10 years of audios. Uh, I did it with templates so that you can, you go to that page. I had it before that each year was separate. But now I've got all the years on one page. So you can search down there, word search and, and find. So you might be able to search Embassy of Heaven and, and hear the story of it. There was a, a, a great scene in the court. Room. I'm, I'm just in there. They, they tried to arrest me. They tried to surround me by cops. They did all kinds of, just adventure after adventure, just amazing adventures. I knew they were following me. God told me they were following me. And w- once we were trying to find the offices of, we were going to, I was with a guy who was going to serve the court offices and, uh, the, uh, the county offices and the county attorneys and all that stuff. And uh, this is all part of my training, not to take things to court, but to understand the courts even uh, deeper and understand the power that you need to take into the courts because it isn't the legal power that will win this case. It's the, it's the same power that Moses was walking into, walking into these high places and being able to exercise authority over the servants of Pharaoh. They throw down their staffs and turn them into snakes and try to intimidate Moses, but his staff eats their staff. <laughs> his snakes eat their snakes. Uh, that's a that's a power that isn't a word power. It, it, the power is not in the words; it's in the spirit. But anyway, so we went through this whole thing. Uh, and that's an adventure. Well, maybe if you ask questions about it during the phone call, I'll tell you more. But uh, when Paul escaped, uh, they wanted to have him in jail. They wanted to have uh, Abraham in jail. That was one of the people. that They wanted to have Christian Livingston in jail. Christian didn't even show up. Abraham did. Abraham knew he was going to jail. and But they showed up anyway. But Paul, and Paul was told by a lawyer that he knew when he was in school, that day, earlier in the morning, that you will not get out of here unless you could fly across that parking lot. That they had a back room full of troopers. That they were going to arrest him and put him in jail because they did not want him not in jail when they auctioned off their interest in the church property. Long story. I just, those are just tidbits. I can fill in the gaps later. But all of a sudden I realized he wasn't in the courtroom anymore. He just disappeared when I was dealing with Abraham, you know, because Abraham was being called up there. And uh, 
I'm just in there to bring the Holy Spirit into the room. And evidently the Holy Spirit was working when I didn't even have to do a thing. But Paul escaped. And somebody gave him a ride. And he just disappeared. And finally, towards the end, this was always the funniest scene, is they had just arrested Abraham for not appearing while he was appearing in court. <laughs> Amazing scene. I wish I could add a film. It would be number one on YouTube. But a guy comes running in and they said, he's gone. They all of a sudden realized that he got past all the guards, all the cops. I mean, dozens of cops. We had at least eight cops, ten cops with uniforms and then un- non-uniform cops in that courtroom. And he got past all of them, just walked right past them like he was invisible. <laughs> and he disappeared. And somebody ran in and said, he's gone. Yelled it up to the judge. Now, the judge hadn't said he was going to arrest it. She wasn't going to arrest him or anything. Uh, fascinating story in itself, but we don't have time for the details. But uh, when he yelled that, the judge stood up. This Judge Engelmeyer, I know her name. And she, she was a young, young judge. But she was assigned to this, is kind of her running the gauntlet to do all these illegal things. Because usually they bring in a retired judge to do these illegal things. And he wasn't under arrest. He wasn't under a court order to stay or anything. He he was just supposed to sign this document uh, that says that he, because they were, they were, i just show you, I'll give you a brief, just to get a little bit of a heads up. They had always subpoenaed him by his original name in the system. But he hadn't used that name for years and years and years. He just started using another name, Pastor Paul Revere. That's not his birth name. Paul was, but not Paul Revere. And uh, actually, Paul wasn't, unless it was a middle name, because I remember now his first name. <laughs> anyway... So normally they subpoena his his government given name, his birth given name, but he had been, he had changed his name. Many people in the inner religious order they change their name, and that's perfectly acceptable. You just can't change it back and forth. And he was saying that when he entered the the church, he, he changed his name to Pastor Paul Revere, and they should accept that. That's absolutely legitimate and legal way of doing things. I've got books here on the shelf that show that's a legal way of doing things. As long as you don't go back and forth and try to maintain both identities. Well, they had subpoenaed him under the name of Pastor Paul Revere. And that's a mistake. That's a clerical mistake. Somehow or other, the Holy Spirit got into somebody's mind and said, right, this in there. And they did it. And so he was ordered to appear because of the subpoena. And so he was there. And that was the first time he asked me, even before the court, he says, should I even go? And I says, you know, this is the first time they've ever subpoenaed Pastor Paul Revere. I said, to me, that's a sign. You know, it may be a mistake, but they call for Pastor Paul Revere by that name. You need to go. And there's more reason why I say that goes deep into estoppels and all this kind of legal stuff, which will just burden you. So anyway, he went. And so now they go to call him to answer the subpoena. But the judge says the the old man. And he says, is so-and-so here? And he, We're the only guys in the courtroom. And they never call us till everybody else is gone. <laughs> I don't care where we show up on the roster. We're not going to get called until everybody's business is gone and we're the only ones in the courtroom. <laughs> 
<laughs> that is evidently a tradition. So anyway, they go to call him, but they're calling him by the old name. Well, that's not the name on his subpoena. He legally cannot answer to that name. That would be a violation of the law. She knows that. That's why when she looks, she did the same thing with Abraham later. When she looks across the courtroom, is is so-and-so here? She looks around. We're the only ones sitting in the courtroom. (laughs) Except for all those cops all around us. And so, finally he stands up and he says, That used to be my name before I entered the church. But when I entered the church, I took the name Paul Revere. And my name is Pastor Paul Revere. And he holds up the subpoena. And he says, my subpoena is for Pastor Paul Revere. That old name you're calling, that's not me anymore. It was me. So he's admitting that used to be my name. But it's not my name now. And I cannot answer to that name. There's a legal question here. You know, point of order. (laughs) Point of order. (laughs) You're calling a name that's not on my subpoena, my copy. I was served this name. There's no other name on this one. Now, later I got to see the judges, what she had in front of her. She had the copy of the same subpoena in front of her. But she drew a line to Pastor Paul Revere and wrote in the other name. On her own, she did this. He wasn't served with her copy. He was served with the copy with his name. He cannot answer to that name. That would be a violation of the law. Her asking him to answer to that name when he was subpoenaed with Pastor Paul Revere. That's, she's committing a crime when she's doing that. But it was, remember, it's their goal, we knew from inside, to get all those guys in jail. And so Pastor Paul Revere said, uh, he actually stood with one foot on one side of the bar and one foot on the other side of the bar. These people that are writing me, they don't have any idea of how the law works. They have a little inkling, yeah, a little bit. But, you know, Sheriff Mack and, and those guys, great guy, Sheriff Mack. He does not, he's not giving you the answer. It's fine to pursue that as long as you know that's not the answer. That the answer is Christ and what Christ said to do and what Moses said to do. That's what we should be doing. That's where we should be focusing. You know, I, I've gone to constitutional meetings. I, I have friends with sheriffs all over the country. Uh, I know people in politics, but I know the answer is what Christ said to do. And that's where we should be focusing. But anyway, he stood there with one foot on one side of the bar and one foot on the other side of the bar. And he says, there's a question of jurisdiction here. You're calling a name that's not on my copy of the subpoena. And he's holding it up out to the judge. She's too far away to read it. But she knows what it is. She has a copy right in front of her. And so he says, I need to seek counsel. I cannot answer to who you're calling. But I'm here today to answer this subpoena. And she she kept calling it. She kept calling it. She wouldn't call it the other one. that The name that was on the subpoena. And... Uh, and, of course, she kept saying, well, you have a right to an attorney. And he kept saying a right to counsel. And she kept saying right to an attorney. And so uh, she said that he could, uh, they gave him a paper that he could sign and give to the court clerk out there. And what it would amount to is that 
They could change, and they did this with others. They could change the charge they were subpoenaed for was a misdemeanor. And there was two charges, either obstruction of government administration or, I can't remember the wording of the other, one's a misdemeanor, non-jailable offense, and the other one could be a jailable offense. And if you didn't show up, that's what they figured, nobody would show up. And if nobody showed up, they could just issue a bench warrant because they didn't show up to court and arrest them if they showed up at the sale. That was the strategy. I knew that. I knew that because God told me immediately. I knew that partly because I could put it in terminology because I understand the legal system. But I also understand the law. And it's the law that will win, not the legal system. But it, the law trumps the legal system. But you have to know the law. And to know the law, you have to know the law of nature. In order to know the law of nature, you have to know the will of God. You have to know right reason. And, and the law of nature. Which are convertible phrases. They're all talking about the same thing. So anyway, so anyway, he, they gave him the paper. He was supposed to sign it. And then give it to the court clerk. Well, he went out. And he gave it to the court clerk, but he didn't sign it. And, of course, he had an absolutely good reason why he didn't sign it. Because what name is he going to sign it with? The old name or the new name? Well, he can only use the new name. And they made it out. You could see they made it out <laughs> with the old name. And they actually had on it, because this is part of the original paperwork, they had it on it, the new name. But they crossed that out. I saw that too. So, <laughs> so anyway, he got away. And then when the guard, the the cop come running in and said he's gone, the judge stood up, Engelmeyer pointed, stood up in the courtroom, pointed at the door and said, get him. And uh, just like that, get him, yelled it at the top of her voice. She was very distraught. <laughs> and all the cops in there, the uniform cops, the plainclothes cops, everybody rushed to the door from all different directions. When they got to the door, somebody tripped. And literally, there were men piled three and a half to four feet high, depending on where you draw the line, in that doorway. With arms and legs flailing in the air and people crawling over each other to get through that little narrow door. It looked like the Keystone Cops. It was hysterical. Of course, I wasn't laughing. I was just just shocked and amazed at the power of God. (laughs) And then shortly after that, Abraham turned to me. When he realized, he turned to me and he asked, where's Paul? (laughs) And I says, I don't know. (laughs) Because he was sitting Right next to me, I turned over to Rachel and I said, where's Paul? And she just, in very quiet, uh, wonderful demeanor that she had, she says, he left. (laughs) And I got the rest of the story. But where I was going with all this, that is a part of this letter. Because we can probably start taking calls here in a minute. I'll just get through a little bit more. And this this is the better part of the story. This is what I'm really getting to. Is that, uh, when we finally got out of there, Abraham had been arrested and taken away, and that's a fascinating story in itself, and somewhere it's recorded in all of our archives. And if somebody wants to hear it, call in and ask me, I can I tell you that story. Abraham has since passed away. But uh, anyway, uh, when we came out, we didn't know where he was. 
We knew there was another guy missing. I actually talked to the guy just the other day. He called me up out of the blue. He still lives here in Oregon. And uh, Bruger is his name. Anyway, uh, he was out there and he gave Paul a ride and they took off. And But we, nobody knew where they went to. And so now we're coming out and there are car ops assigned to follow us everywhere. <laughs> everywhere we go. <laughs> And so I, I'm, I load Rachel and the kids, uh, there's two girls uh, in the car. I think we had one other person. And then there was another guy that offered to give us a ride, but we know that he was a spy, always been a spy. He's actually a spy for the Catholic Church, believe it or not. But, uh, anyway, we didn't go with him. We, that's another whole story. A uh, fascinating story, fascinating story. And I'm not picking on the Catholic Church because Paul actually took refuge with someone from the Catholic Church who was a legitimate guy. I have great stories about that. What's, who was behind this whole raid and what was really going on behind, behind, behind the curtains, which was, like I said, all part of my education. I was just astounded. Every time we turned around, there was a new revelation. And then... Evidence would come to us from all sorts of places, from inside the government, inside the Catholic Church, and just mysterious evidence so that we could see who's really behind everything. And uh, we're only interested in the good people. Uh, We're interested in all the people, and when I say good people, the people who are willing to repent, because nobody's good. None is good but God. But those who repent need to repent all the way. And if they repent a little bit, we go, we walk with them a little farther. They repent more, but eventually what will happen, just like Adam and Eve in the tree of life, if you get too close to too much truth, a lot of people will turn and go back. But the apostles are the ones who, the apostles are the ones who stayed with them forever. And this, this was, this is critical. That you have to remain faithful. If you can't remain faithful to your spouse, you won't remain faithful in, in the time in the trials ahead. So anyway, where did he, where did Paul go? Where is he? And so anyway, we drove a certain distance and then we actually knew somebody that we drove and we went someplace and changed vehicles and then we drove to another place and, and, uh, I, I went into a, a restroom in a place and changed clothes and, you know, coat and came out and, and we eventually lost them all. And then I said, well, I know, they said, well, where is he? Everybody still couldn't figure out where he was, but we lost all our tails. And so then I said, I know where he is. I just, as soon as we had lost the last tail, I knew where he was. And uh, we went there and he was actually at the train station. Because I was going to have to catch a train later that day to go up to Salem to listen to Randy Lee and John Quaid and John Joseph speak. And uh, I knew they were going up there. I didn't know how they were going up there, but I knew they were going up there. And so I was going to drive a car to that location and leave my car there in Salem and take the train up the rest of the way rather than drive that old rickety car all the way up to Seattle. And uh, it, this is another one of those trips where I, my daughter asked me, are you invited to go speak? I says, no, but I just think I should go there. And she again says that I will speak. <laughs> I said, okay. She did that before when I went to Indianapolis Baptist Temple. That was the daughter that was on the, with the, the, the plastic straw for her headset, <laughs> part of her headset. 
But anyway, uh, so we uh, we go there, and there he was at the train station with David Brueger. And something happened that, so I said, Paul, we knew they were still looking everywhere. We saw the cops out driving around looking for them in, in vans, the same cops, in the, and they're, they're looking everywhere. They're trying to find them. And uh, so we knew that, they, I said, they want to have you arrested. I says, why don't you come with me to Salem? No, I mean, I was in Salem, to Seattle. We were in Salem. And he says, oh, I don't even have a coat. And David Brueger held out his coat and gave his coat to Paul. And that's why I still deal with David Brooke. <laughs> that one act where he, he did not have a coat and David gave him his coat. And I had already given him rides and all this other stuff. So anyway, Paul consented to go and I bought him a ticket. We were going to get on, but the train was late. And so everybody had got there. A lot of people had figured out. The only ones who didn't figure out where we were going was all the cops. <laughs> we had a lot of people there. And... uh so, uh, the train was late, and when it was finally coming, it didn't come in on the regular track, because it was an, another train coming on that track, so it had to go in a track way out in the yard. There's an Amtrak. And so we weren't going to be able to load at the station. We had to run across the railroad yard, jumping over tracks to get to the train. And then we were told, don't even wait for a conductor, just get on the car, any car, just get on to any car. Because they were so far behind. And so here we go running. All these people running across the railroad tracks. Jumping tracks and going across. It was all the way to the far track on the other side at the Salem uh, train station. No walkways. Completely unsafe. <laughs> and uh, But uh, we were going across and we got to a car. And Paul started to get on. And I said, no, not this car. And, and I, I said, we got to go down. And so we started going to the back of the train and we come to another car. And there's guys at every car saying, just get on, just get on. Didn't he? And I said, no, no, not this car. Go down, go down. And I, I didn't know till I got to the car that I had to go to the next car. And, and I, I went to the next car and the next car. And finally, the last car is the one we were getting. I said, this is it. We have to get on. And Paul's doing exactly what I said, which is kind of strange in itself. And we get on the car and we're climbing up. We don't really have hardly any baggage at all. I have a little tiny carry-on bag. And, uh, and Paul has Brugger's coat. <laughs> and we climb up into the car and we get onto the top level where everybody's s- s- sitting and, and I'm walking down the aisle and all of a sudden I stop and I stop so suddenly that Paul actually bumps into me and I stop and I'm standing there and all of a sudden out of my mouth I start saying, is there somebody by the name of Randy Lee? On this train, and there's all these people sitting there all around. I, I don't know what Randy Lee looks like. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't even realize who John Quaid was at the time. But, uh, and he's since passed away. He wasn't in that great health then, but he's since passed away. I'm the only one that seems to be living through all this. <laughs> so, anyway. So, the guy right next to me, I'm standing right next to Randy Lee. He is sitting immediately. I'm almost touching him. And he says, I'm Randy Lee. Oh, you're Randy Lee. And that's the first time I saw him. And I put out my hand and I said, I'm Gregory Williams, Brother Gregory. 
And he goes, oh, you know, he was all happy because we'd been corresponding back and forth. Every time we'd send a letter, we would send another book <laughs> and we shook hands. And uh and so we ended up talking with him and John Quaid and John Joseph. He's a little bit more temperamental guy. But uh we talked to him. As a matter of fact, when we got to the event eventually, we ended up staying at the same motel. Another whole adventure in itself because they wanted to see ID and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> anyway, so um, uh, at the event, John Joseph went up to talk and uh, he, he asked some question or something and I responded. I happened to be sitting right next to where he was talking. There was hundreds and hundreds of people there. And he turned to me and he says, why don't you just take over? And I thought like, is he be, are you being sarcastic? <laughs> he says, no, you, you just take over. Go ahead. And so I, and he, he walks away from the pulpit and he points to me. He said, you take over. You talk. Now we had talked all night. We had talked on the train. So I thought, well, maybe he wanted me to talk. I still don't know why he did that. But I got to talk. I was one of the first ones to talk there. And it kind of shook people up. Because uh, who was this guy? But anyway. So casting our seeds out and all the stuff. But I don't see a lot of fruit coming from it. Because people aren't still sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But that's the way it works. That when you're walking in the Spirit, if you need to meet somebody, if you need to stand next to somebody, if you need to stop... Eight cops that want to figure out a way of arresting you and finding out who you are. <laughs> you can get around it. That you know who is a spy for this, the biggest spy institution <laughs> in the world. You know who their spies are. That's another whole story I won't go into now. But we are at past the hour. And uh, there's a little bit more to the letter, and I will continue to read the letter because he mentions Randy Lee and John Quaid and John Joseph of California coming and speaking. This was... Uh, we had a Christian Journal Society in Wisconsin when we lived there in 1990s. I don't remember. I wasn't there in Wisconsin anymore. I'm curious as where they were in Wisconsin when they came to speak. I didn't go with them that time. <laughs> I spoke in Seattle with them. But yeah, I knew them way before they were making those kinds of trips. But, uh, and just to give you a little bit of idea how, yeah, how I met these guys. And I had some fascinating conversations with Randy Lee about personal matters. And that's an interesting story. But I, now that I've mentioned his name, I won't tell you who it is. I'll tell the story sometime when you don't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> But uh you begin to see things that other people don't see. You start seeing into the heart of the person. And I tell you, that's how you stop the evil people. That's how come the cops can't arrest you. That's how would Jesus had all these guys who wanted to kill this woman who was supposedly a harlot. Another whole story most people don't understand. They couldn't raise a finger against him. They couldn't raise a finger against her. Because... He could see who they really are. And nothing, he was the light in the room and they hate the light. He had to turn his light down so that they could kill him. They couldn't have laid a hand on him if he turned his light up. 
But he, he knew God wanted him to go through this, and he said, not my will, but thine. So he turned his light down so that they could do this to him. If you're walking with God, you can turn your light up. And you have power at PayPal, not them. They can't, they can't, you, you think, oh well, we don't have anything to do with them because they're the wicked. We're supposed to be able to walk right into hell. And the devil trembles. Not us. So we certainly ought to be able to go into PayPal. <laughs> We should be able to go into the state capitol. I have great stories about state capitol. We should be able to go into courts and the judges bow down. I've got stories about that, where the judges bow down. I got uh, people in in Congress who work for Congress bow down. If you come in with the Holy Spirit, they if they are evil, they will bow down. What I would like to see more, and this is my prayer to God, I would like to see people actually walking in the ways of Christ more <laughs> instead of getting sidetracked with the Jural Society. Now, the Jural Society, there are tens, hundreds, and thousands. I was talking about that. I don't know if it was before them because I don't, I, don't, I don't know when they first, but we were conversing. I knew all those guys. This was, this was many years ago. My daughter, who's in her 40s now, was 14 at that time. She might have been 12, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I think she was actually 12, maybe 12 or 14 at that time. She was pretty good at electronics back in those days. So anyway, the number to call, if you want to call, I see there's a number of calls in here. If you uh, if you call in on 319-527-6208, and push one, you can ask a question. But that's the number, 319-527-6208, and then push 1, and I will see your hand raised up if you have a question. If you don't have a question, we'll finish with this letter. He, can, he went on to say, We still remember one time when Randy Lee, a quiet, mild-mannered gentleman, that's absolutely true, uh, was up at the podium, a man stood up and interrupted him and demanded to know why we use the name Christian Jural Society, for that name, Christian, was offensive to Jews. We were shocked that such a man, we had never seen him before, would register for this big conference of ours. Uh, the fact is, to Israelites, a lot of Jews are offensive. Uh, but they don't take offense. Because to a true, true Israelite, they are walking with God. They're not offended by sin. They just don't sin. <laughs> sin finds them offensive, but they don't find... They're not offended by sin. God, is God offended by sin? Really think about that. If you have the power to offend God, you have the power to upset God... You have the power to take away God's contentment and happiness? No, you don't. Your sin will bring consequences, but that's already built in. You you have a poor understanding of God if you think you have the power to upset God. 
or even to make God angry. We talk about the wrath of God, and we explain that. We have an article on that. You want to go read the wrath of God. Wrath of God is the consequences of going against the law of nature, and nature's God, and the right reason, and the will of God. And Christian Jural Society, well, what... He talks about a Jural Society. Everybody wanted to get the Christian Jural Society. You want a Christian Jural Society, you have to create a daily ministration where you're, you're creating the safety net by faith, hope, and charity. You have to become the FEMA of Christ, the Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary. That's what Christ was doing. He wasn't starting a Jural Society so that you didn't have to go to Roman courts. They, they weren't getting dragged in. The Romans would stop them from dragging them in front of Jewish courts. Paul won his case in the Jewish court. And, and uh, now, I, I will admit, the Stephan didn't, but that was an outlaw court. They broke the law and they suffered the consequences, the destruction of Jerusalem for start. Yeah, you create, by your judgment of the innocent, you bring judgment on yourself, cause and effect. Whether you believe in God or not, the cause and effect of God's system is already in place. You you can try to buck it all you want. You won't get away with it. It's not a matter of, uh, I do believe in God. I do believe in God. I do believe in God. It's, your belief has to be, faith compels action. And the faith in God compels godly action. If you're being promiscuous, if you're running around, if you're betraying your your vows to your husband or to your wife, you're not believing in God. That's evidence that you don't really believe in God. You can tell me you did, but what you do tells me you don't. That's what James is telling you. That you're not earning the kingdom of God. You're not earning salvation. But if you're going against what God says, you're doing contrary to the decrees of the king one Jesus, you don't really believe in God. You don't really believe in Jesus. Because you really believed in him, you couldn't do contrary to the decrees of Christ. You would be sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But you don't have faith in Christ. So you don't. I mean, he said it. That that's what you had to do. And people come up with the excuses. Like I said, you know, I said that there it is right there in black and white. I command his disciples to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And immediately somebody says, oh, that was just for the distribution of bread. Really? How did they rightly divide the bread from house to house later on in Pentecost? Were they sitting in the tens, hundreds, and thousands? That was the tradition of Jews, and these were all Jews at that time, virtually all Jews at the time. Clearly, there were Romans from the beginning that believed in Jesus Christ. We see it with the Roman centurion. So there were other people who were not Jews following them. But they understood the tens, hundreds, of thousands because Romans had the hearths, which were 10 or 12 families gathered together and forming this network. That's how the Roman system was established. That's how the Romans eventually organized their army. And then we've already done shows showing you how suddenly the Romans were going to organize their armies slightly differently. Just before Julius Caesar became a general in the Roman army. They altered something that was contrary to what the Bible says you should do. Most people don't know where that is. I could tell you. Why should I tell you all these secrets of the mysteries of the kingdom of God if you won't even do the basics? 
And if you do the basics, you'll know already. <laughs> you'll know firsthand because God will write it on your heart. You'll know, I can't get on this train car. I have to get on the one way down at the end of the train. <laughs> we had to go past two or three cars before we got to the car that God wanted us to get onto. And then we had to go upstairs and we're walking and we're looking for seats. I saw there was some empty seats way down. And then all of a sudden I just stop. Why did I stop? It was as if an angel put his hand on my chest and said, go no farther. Because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a bit of an ass at times. So <laughs> that's what happened. I knew I, I had to stop right there. I knew I had to say, is there somebody on? I didn't even know he was coming on train, I don't think. I don't remember knowing. I knew he was going up to Seattle. I certainly didn't know what train he was going on. He could have gone the day before. I mean, the meeting wasn't until the next day. But there he was, sitting on the car. There's John Quaid sitting there. John Joseph was out getting snacks somewhere, but he came back. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I know those guys. But this is where you all have to be. You have to know, do I leave now? Do I leave ten minutes from now? If I'm driving down the road, do I cross this bridge or do I stop? And you stop and you don't go across the bridge. I know if a guy who, in the L.A. earthquakes, he used to catch a ride with three other guys to work every single day. He would catch a ride with them and they would all drive to work together. They would, they carpooled. And they came by for him this one early morning and they said, yeah, ready to go? And he says, no, I can't go with you. I'll, I'll come later in my own car. And they, so they just drove off. Instead of waiting for him, he went and told him, I, I can't go. I, I got a few things I have to do here for my family. And then I may be even late for work, but I'll just drive in my own car. You guys go ahead without me. I don't want to hold you up. Well, he didn't hold him up. An overpass fell on that car and crushed it so you could slip it under a refrigerator. I mean, they just crushed it. All those guys died in that car. He would have been in that car. Had he got on that car. I know guys who, I mean, every time you see a plane crash, you know, and go find out who didn't get on that plane. <laughs> it's kind of, got, what was that, uh, Glass, uh, Mr. Glass or whatever it was, it, you know, with uh, uh, one of those Night Shyamalan movies. He was looking for the guy who's the superhero. <laughs> the guy who should have died, but didn't. Have you ever been sick? <laughs> so anyway, uh, the reality is that if if we follow the ways of God, we're all superheroes. As long as God wants us to be superheroes. He may take that power away, but it's about being willing to do the will of the Father. And... That's what we have to do. And that's one of the conversations I had with Randy. And showed him that he was he was getting out of the world, but he was still addicted to things of the world. And I said, you, you cannot escape the world because you're mad at government. You, you cannot get out of Egypt by hating Pharaoh. Moses didn't come in and said, well, we're going to gather arms and we're all going to get armed. We're going to study military tactics. Now, eventually they did do that. But that's not how they were going to get out of Egypt. Because they were actually in legitimate bondage in Egypt. 
the same as many of the Israelites were legitimate bondage, uh, or the Judeans were in legitimate bondage with Rome. But according to the law, Jesus knew how to get them out. First, he needed a, a, some, a group of people who were idiotists. They were not registered. They were not a part of the system. Now, I don't even require that. Although it would have been nice if you weren't registered in the system. We have lots of people that have never registered in the system and they are separate and they're part of a religious order. And that's an important aspect. But the really important aspect is that those people who are out of the system create that daily ministration that operates the faith, hope, and charity and, and helps take care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. You have to be doing that. If you're not doing that, God will not intervene on your behalf because you're not following the ways of God. You're not a follower of God. So holding up this letter a little bit longer, we'll keep going a little bit. I actually did chores before uh, the show started so I don't have to run out even though I'm losing daylight out here just so I see how far we can take this. He says, uh, are you aware of the Christian Journal Society started by Randy Lee? And we did that uh, back in 1990s. Uh, we can still remember one time, uh, and that's when somebody got up and says, why do you use the name Christian? Was offensive to Jews. They were shocked. But Randy Lee didn't hesitate. He quietly yet firmly spoke. Our God has a son named Jesus Christ. Does yours? It was... A perfect response for that Jew answered not a word and sat down and left the auditorium at the next break. Then we heard the Christian friends that the same Jew had been... i got to go to page two. Where's page two? Oh, boy. Do I have page two? Or my, is it flip over? Oh, it flips over. Okay. He's, he's got several letters he sent me and the other one. Going around to all the local Christian churches telling them they needed to use the Y name, which is, I guess, Yahweh or Yahweh name as he pronounced them. And, uh, they were, and they were doing it. We were using the Y names, uh, ourselves, which I guess is Yeshua at at that time, but we came into contact with so many Jews that hate Jesus Christ and Christians and won't even say the name Jesus Christ that we knew we had to do more research on the subject ourselves. Are you aware of the Paleo-Hebrew that our biblical ancestors spoke is not the Yiddish Hebrew of the Jews speak today and that they used in the Masoretic text. Well, you know, I, the last few shows, I've talked about the Masoretic text. Uh, not in the last show this morning, but in earlier shows, I've uh, enhanced our page on the Masoretic text. I know all about the Masoretic text. I know about the Hebrew text that was prior to the Masoretic text. The King James is taken from the Masoretic text, so I use that because I can I can get through that and still show you the gospel of the kingdom. I don't need Hebrew texts that totally nobody's afraid to, uh, uh, familiar with. I can show you in the King James Bible that you are like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. So far in this letter, I don't know 
what they're doing for a daily ministration. But he says, from our research, we learn that the Septuagint, which Jesus Christ read from and quoted from, is one-third longer than the Masoretic text. I don't know if it's a full one-third. That seems a little bit extreme. Uh, but there's definitely stuff that's missing. Uh, there's even stuff... Uh, yeah, there's stuff in the New Testament uh, that it, it is missing as well. Uh, I was just going over some of that. But there's enough of it there that you ought to be doing what Christ said. Because, like I said, are, are, have you, do you have a daily ministration not dependent upon the rulers who offer you the dainties that we should put a knife to our throat instead of eating? Are you taking care of the widows and orphans through pure religion? Uh, I don't know. I don't hear him talk anything about that yet, but we haven't got all the way through this. The fact that we've already explained the Masoretic text to some degree. I mean, there's certainly a lot more things that we can look at. But we just had a whole show where we were showing how the Masoretic text, you know, varies. Or like... In, in looking at Exodus, where did they spend 430 years in Egypt? Uh, because that's what it says in our text of Exodus. But in the older Hebrew text, it goes back predating the Masoretic text. It says 430 years in Egypt and Canaan. And that actually makes more sense for several other reasons. But, yeah, they were in bondage for a long time, almost 400 years. You could almost say 400 years. But there were times when they were also, remember, they were wandering around in Canaan. <laughs> they were wandering around in the desert. And, and then, what is Canaan? You know, Canaanite. What's a Canaanite? Merchants of men. They belonged to the Pharaoh when they were in Egypt. If they came out and joined the systems that were in Canaan and a lot of the other city-states roundabout, they would be facing Canaanites again because they would be become they would become merchants again. You've all become merchants of men or merchandise of men, I should say, not just merchants, but you've all joined in with the merchants of men and become merchandise. And how did you do it? Exactly the way Peter said. He said through covetous practices, you would become merchandise. And that would make FDR a merchant of man. That would make uh, Obama a merchant of men. That would make Donald Trump merchants of men. They're the chief executive officer of the new Egypt, the new Roman Empire, the unholy Roman Empire that we see before us, where you're back in the bondage of Egypt, giving where you don't own all of your labor. If you don't admit that, you... Why pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Why pursue pure religion? Why create a network, according to the tens, hundreds of thousands, to take care of all the needy of society? You can wait till everything collapses and fall apart and say, well, now I'll join. But you just better make sure that you don't end up getting to the door when the foolish virgins got to the door. They were virgins. They weren't a part of the system. But they... They didn't have any oil to enter. You don't want to be like the, like I, I mentioned this morning, that the, the guy who shows up at the wedding feast, but has, and what is the wedding feast? What is that? The doctrine of merger. That's the wedding feast. Uh, I explained that at the agreement conference in Colorado dozens of years ago. 
And, and people were blown, the few people, well, I saved it for the end when there was just the guys who all understood legalese and explained to them this doctrine of merger. And it, it, it could be rather complicated, and I'm certainly not going to tell you what it is on the radio. But, uh, this is where we have to go. This is where Moses was going. This is where God was going with Moses. So that when he was saying, let my people go, he wasn't just talking about the people that belonged to God. He was talking about the people who belonged to Moses. And they belonged to Moses because Moses didn't want to own them. Well, I don't want to own you either. I want God to own you. I want you to learn to live according to the perfect law of liberty. So where's your pure religion? You're, you're worried about the Masoretic text. I know about the Masoretic text. I've written about it for years. We went to visit uh, Hidden Mountain near Albuquerque, New Mexico, where the Ten Commandments are carved into a boulder in Paleo-Hebrew. You know, I just talked about Paleo-Hebrew and uh, what was some of the other Hebrews and where the Hebrew language originally came from. It's in back when we talked about probably Exodus 8 or 9, how there was Hebrew words carved on the wall of a mine, a turquoise mine, that was mined by Israelites as slaves of Egypt way back before Moses. <laughs> so where did that language come from? Well, it came from Joseph. But people, you know, you can get lost in the Paleo-Hebrew. It's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? The important thing is they have chickens and eggs because if you don't get eggs, you don't get any more chickens. <laughs> so anyway... Meanwhile, what's happening in the world is that everybody is lined up to become genetically modified. The sterility of mankind is sweeping around the world. Uh, the population uh, collapse is upon us. Uh, economic collapse is upon us. And nobody is practicing pure religion. Nobody is gathering in the tens, hundreds, and thousands the way that Christ is. And nobody knows the song of Moses. They know that the Masoretic text is not perfect. Right. I got it. I wrote it down. We attended a tour by a man named David Allen Deal. I know David. I remember when he lost his truck. I told him he was going to lose his truck. <laughs> we later learned was a Jew. Okay. We communicated with Dave and Deal, Deal after that event and even had a two-hour telephone conversation with him, our dime, trying to get him to show us what the Paleo-Hebrew would be for Jesus or Jesus Christ. He went into a great detail, how I believe that, how to pronounce uh, this his particular Y names, uh, but would not even say the word Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, I can say Jesus Christ, Yeshua Christos, uh, which, you know, Christ is just a Greek word uh, in the English. Uh, it isn't a matter whether you're speaking Hebrew or Paleo-Hebrew or... It, 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 there can be value in knowing these things when you're reading the scriptures, but only so that you get away from the tree of knowledge and start eating of the tree of life so you know what railroad car to get onto when you're in a rush and the Gestapo is chasing you. <laughs> you're going to need to know that. I'm telling you, you're going to need to know that. It don't matter whether you know Masoretic text or Paleo-Hebrew. 
He went into a great detail to pronounce uh, his particular Y names, but wouldn't even do the Jesus Christ. We have a friend, a uh, Bible scholar that is currently living in the Netherlands and has been all around the world studying 37 languages and history uh, of languages. He doesn't even believe that the mystery rock is authentic. And, and, and it may not be authentic, but I don't, I don't care whether it's authentic or not. I mean, I'm willing to look at evidence both ways. I'm always willing to. But I know that the rock you need to deal with is the rock in your own hearts. The Israelites' heart were so hard that God had to write the Ten Commandments on stone. (laughs) Because they wouldn't let him write his laws upon their hearts. You need to get it written upon your heart. That's the stone. I'm concerned with. If you want to soften that stone, gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, start caring about not just your congregation, but the congregations you've never even met on the other side of the world in places where they speak 37 different languages. (laughs) You don't have to learn the languages. You just have to learn the language of love and caring for one another and stop coveting your neighbor's goods. Uh, We noticed... uh, you use the words and the current Yiddish Hebrew. We would not. Uh, we would not. Enclosed is a letter from Pastor Mark Downey. Okay, Mark Downey. I, I have that letter over here. We're not going to read that now. We won't have the time, and I'll run out of voice before I get to it. This letter is almost done. For those of you who are getting really bored with me, I see that our callers are still hanging on. Good for you. <laughs> You don't have to. Don't feel an obligation <laughs> to do that. But I don't see any callers raising their hand, which is fine. You may be interested in his letter to us that is enclosed. For the information he uncovered was quite unexpected, but believable, considering all the information and the experience we have had in the last few decades. Pastor Mark, he died a few years ago has also written a paper titled The Name Game that is 14 pages long. If you would like a copy, we will make one and send it to you. As we know, you are a serious student of his word yourselves. We, too, have a ministry with a Bible-based newsletter and some comes out of every few months. We don't have a talent for writing books as you do, but as we continue learning in the many areas we search, study, we share it with others. Sharing is important. Even if what you, the information you have is not accurate, but your willingness to share will have a greater effect. But when you share, you should not dictate. You share. You say, this is what I believe. This is what I see. And then if they say, well, I don't think it's that way, then you listen to what they have to say. If God is, allows you to, God may say, you can't listen now. you got to go because <laughs> I need you over here. But you have to be listening to God in order to know when to leave and uh, when to fold them. <laughs> that the song goes, know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Uh, love everybody. Love the wicked. Love your enemy. But, you know, I was just telling this again to somebody. You can ponder this as much. Love is not a feeling. Love is not a fancy. Love is a utility. 
It's like lightning. It's like electricity. It's a power. But it's according to the frequency of God, the resonance of God, resonating nature of God. How do you know if you're plugged into the right current? What are you doing? Staying faithful to your wife, to your husband, to your children? Are you taking care of her? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Or are you coveting your neighbor and your neighbor's goods? I don't see anything in here talking about pure religion. I don't see anything in here talking about forgiveness. I don't think, see anything in here talking about uh, charity and taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. We too have a ministry he talks about uh, with a newsletter and but doesn't have the power to write the books. He says, we pray this mailing finds you and those working with you in your part of his ministry happy and healthy. We are. <laughs> so, uh, Then he wrote down here, may the Savior bless you and keep you safe. Uh, and then their name, but I won't mention the name because I don't have permission to mention the name. So now we have this other letter, which is evidently was written to his wife by Mark Downey, who is now dead. And I guess that's his signature there. To whom pertaineth, he says. Well, we may have time to look at that. I do have a little bit of time left in the show. And I I actually have another letter here, but I see it's handwritten from a prison. And uh, I haven't even glanced at it yet, uh, but I've had letters from him before. But anyway, it says, good to hear from you, and you've been corresponding with somebody, uh, I won't mention the name. Likewise, I have not heard from him for several weeks when I don't hear from him, continually harassed and thrown into solitary confinement, so evidently somebody in prison, for his beliefs and to break his spirit. Please pray. For his countenance, we've dealt a lot with people in prison that were terribly abused. But I tell you again, find the Holy Spirit. And you do not find the Holy Spirit lurking about in the tree of knowledge. You find it in love and service and forgiveness and patience. This is what you need. This, And you need to practice it. You know, like push-ups and jumping jacks. And running and walking a mile. You need to be of service without judgment. Without anger. Without condescension. Very important. So uh, most of us would not endure what he has. So evidently somebody's in prison. I'm sure the authorities are well aware of his determined efforts uh, for clemency. I have been fighting the spam at the petition site for weeks uh, so there's evidently they have a petition site to get somebody out of jail so I don't know anything about that even have a hundred signatures yet we don't even have a hundred signatures yet see if you were in the tens hundreds and thousands and you had people who actually believed Christ when they said to love one another using a word that is also translated charity Whenever Paul uses the word, it's translated charity. Jesus uses, they usually translate it love. So he's saying, be charitable with one another. This is the greatest thing, according to Paul. This is charity. 
And that charity is how they provided the daily ministration and rightly divided the bread from house to house. How they took care of the widows and orphans and needy of their society. This is what religion was. Religion was, pure religion was doing this unspotted by the world, which was the constitutional order and system of government. All those sheriffs, all those sheriffs, I got a salary working for the unrighteous mammon. That doesn't mean that there isn't a place for them in the kingdom. The Roman centurion had the, had the same job. But he was beginning to operate by faith when he wanted his, uh, you know, I don't know how his uh, servant was sick, but his servant, I don't know, he didn't get the COVID shot. But anyway, he was dying. And he wanted somebody to save him. And he went to Jesus. And he was spared. That should be a daily thing with those who are in the kingdom. One of the things that we're going to see as we go through Exodus 12, when we talk about the Passover, 12, 13, 14, we'll see it in there, that if you're not one of those, remember I was talking this morning about persons, and they had a word there for persons, Dela Resh, I was trying to think, it was a Dela Resh, Shin, I almost saw the word, Anyway, it's hard for me. I'm looking at the paper and then trying to look into my head to read the paper in my head. <laughs> but anyway, the point was is they added an extra toff. If you don't have the toff, you don't live by faith, hope, and charity. Faith, hope, and charity. If you still live by covetous practice, you still pray to the men who exercise authority one over the other to get the benefits of the world. Your religion is not spotted. Your religion is spotted. It's not unspotted. And you're going to have trouble hearing what God has to say because you'll have the noise in your head from those who are wicked and follow the ways of wickedness, follow the covetous practices. And they degenerate your ability to hear God. Because you're not going to figure this out intellectually by studying Paleo-Hebrew or regular Hebrew. I use the regular Hebrew because I use the King James Bible. And the King James Bible is based on the Masoretic text. I have quoted from other Hebrew texts, but I tell you when I'm doing that. I don't jump back and forth. Because the message is there. They try to cloak it in private interpretations, but it's there. He says, regarding the Yeshua matter, this is one of those things that the Jews love to obfuscate. I don't even like the way people say, the Jews. Like, that's some sort of homogeneous group. Like, they're all the same. There's all kinds of Jews. There's all kinds of Christians. I don't know who's saved and who's not saved. I can make some educated guesses. But I, I, I can be fooled. I, I am the first to admit that. I, I can be fooled. I've been fooled just this last year by somebody I thought was kind of on the ball. And then all of a sudden, they're off. I, I was shocked. How could I be so fooled? Now, they may come back. To the fold of Christ. They don't have to come back to me. Although they left a bunch of stuff here. <laughs> but, but that's another story. But it can easily be found by just Googling. Yeshua means his name shall be blotted out. Even the Jewish site Wikipedia gives a half-baked admission. As well as uh, many other trying changes. The arguments from... Uh, Yeshua and Yeshu, that arguments didn't exist 10 years ago. I was Yeshua. It was Yeshua. You know, like, for one thing, 
Uh, all the letters that you're reading in Yeshua, those are English letters. The Hebrew letters, there's, there aren't all these vowels. There's a Y, yeah. There's a Shin, yeah. There's, I, I was trying to, I think I've seen it spelled a couple of different ways. But the reality is, is that it's not about spelling. Yes, the letters have a meaning and they can give you some insight into who Jesus was, who Yeshua was, who Yadevahi was, by the letters and the meaning of the letters put together in a string. But if you don't know the Holy Spirit, you don't know his name. You may know how to spell something that you can write down in a book, but that's not his name. We have a whole article on name. You can go read that. It's not about spelling. Otherwise, dyslexic people might have a hard time getting into the kingdom of God. (laughs) I being one, I would have been kicked out a long time ago. I would suggest Googling Roger Hathaway's sacred names. Uh, it should be the first one being that Yahweh is linked so closely to Yahshua. Even amongst, I mean, even saying the word Yahweh, you hear me say Yadevahe. It is a Yad, Hey, Va, Hey. And that's probably pretty close to the pronunciation of those letters. But it isn't Yahweh. That, that, cause the, the written language wasn't written to be spoken. It was a written language to be written. It's a code, <laughs> so to speak. And the letters are symbols of ideas. Each letter is a symbol of idea. Words are the symbol of ideas, but in Hebrew, the letters are the symbol of ideas, which is why one word can be spelled a hundred different ways. One word. Spelled a hundred different ways. You can add letters. I sh- showed you this morning in the, the morning recording, which we won't put up for at least nine days, but when we put it up, you can go there. When I was going over that, there, there's the, this basic root word that means what they're saying it means. But in the text, you actually see not three letters, not four letters, not five letters, but six letters. And it's a vav and a yod at the beginning and a vav at the end. Later on, we see another word in that same verse area, in the same topical area, where they put the vav and the yod at the beginning of the word and a vav at the end of the word. Except, I think the word was nun, tav, nun, the root word. Neither nun was there. They were gone. They just removed them entirely. Yet we're told that it's the same word. But it's spelled completely different. How do you know what it means? Well, again, we're back to the Holy Spirit. So anyway, he goes on here, and we're almost to the end. By the way, Hebrew was an extinct language by the time of Christ. Their only scripture was the uh, Septuagint, I guess he means. He's just putting the Roman numerals there in the Greek. It was only a thousand years later that the Jews invented a phony Hebrew called the Masoretic, uh, from which so many bad translations emanate today. The problem with the whole thing is the dogmatism, which is true, although it's a hard word to say, of some who use it uh, as wedges causing division. I still have very good friends who use it, and it's no big deal. 
Well, I, again, I only use the Masoretic text because of the fact that the Masoretic text is where we get much of the King James Bible and the King James Bible interpretation. I mean, there's the Septuagint, yeah. And Christ did quote, the apostles did quote from the Septuagint very clearly. But the Septuagint has its faults and its problems as well. But because of the same reason that the Pharaoh was doing the will of the God of heaven when he was hardening his own heart through his stubbornness, even though he was warned against it, but he kept doing it. He was doing the will of God because he was organizing, not his intent, but he was organizing the Israelites and then he was going to thrust them out together. Like I said, if if that wasn't the way they did it, I can guarantee you there would be Israelites saying, we'll catch up with you, Moses. we got some things to do. I can't leave now. I've got a calf coming. I've got uh, my sheep are in lambing. I've got, I just planted crops, you know. Uh, everything else, the barley's gone. Oh, well, actually, and this is, this is an interesting thing. All over Egypt, everybody's planting crops, okay? Uh, we, we talked about how the barley, a lot of people didn't even catch this, but I'll, I'll point it out to you. I mean, it was right in the text. We should have seen it. Everywhere in Egypt, the barley was destroyed. The linen was destroyed, the flax. Now, they, they actually used the flax seed, uh, so it wasn't all going to be used for linen. And, of course, you... You grow the crop different when you want to take the seed. If you want to take the linen, you actually take it before it forms the seed. So if you want the seed for oil, you have to let the crop go farther. But all that was destroyed. And like I said, I, I've plowed up linen fields. Although, again, those fields, they weren't going to use them for linen. They were going to use them for the flax. <laughs> they were harvesting the flax. They were going to combine the flax. But it all got plowed up and plowed in. Because of hailstorms and because early snows, etc., this, and we just plowed it back into the field. All that seed was lost, all that time was lost. But, so I understand how these crops work. Everywhere in Egypt, the crops were devastated. They weren't devastated in Avaris, in Goshen, where the Israelites lived. Remember, they were spared those things. They were spared the grasshoppers. They were spared the frogs. They were spared the hail. So their crops were still standing. The barley was still standing. Probably the, they had some flax, although that's not good flax ground there. They probably they probably had wheat planted. And they had barley up and ready to harvest. They weren't going to be able to harvest it if they have to leave in a day. They're going to just leave it. They're just going to leave the field standing. They're going to leave all that food behind. Now, they might be able to harvest some or maybe trade with some people. They were certainly getting silver and gold, but you can't eat silver and gold. And they could only carry so much. But like I explained, that they probably had a good way of carrying things and moving things. And they were in good shape because they'd been working real hard. But they you know, they didn't even really have tents when they went out to the desert at first. They just slept on the ground and covered themselves with whatever they could carry. But they had to leave all that behind. A lot of them would not have left that behind just to follow Moses. It would have been too great a temptation 
Too many of them would say, well, well, our crops will be ready to harvest in two weeks. We'll harvest the crops and we'll catch up with you. Because they could harvest those crops and sell them because the, they're going to go for a pretty penny because everybody else's crops are destroyed. So now they're, they're maximum value. But God had arranged it that they would be thrust out. And they they went. Of course, they just seen themselves spared time and time again. They had to think that maybe he'll spare us again. But, of course, we see the dissension and we'll go through that as we go through Exodus. But it had nothing to do with pronunciation of words. Moses was slow of speech. He probably stuttered. He probably said, Yadivai. You know, I'm not making fun of him. I think he, he'd chuckle when he heard me say <laughs> Because he knows, God knows, I want you to hear God direct. So, anyway, I'm going to bring the show to an end. I know we lost a few callers. They probably had to do something else. And we've gone two hours now. I'm not going to, I don't know how I'm going to get this show to three hours. Uh, but we, we will take calls in the second part of the show. And, uh, we will also take guests in the second part of the show. So if somebody wants to come on and try to debate me on these subjects, they can go ahead and do it. But until then, I will let you all go. And peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.